And at that time, Mark was extremely hard-hearted. He said, yes, absolutely, I am. I'm having an affair and I'm not stopping. Wow, uh, that would be a horrifying thing to hear from your spouse. Uh, you're going to hear today how Mark and Jill Savage navigated through that very difficult circumstance on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Today we're featuring a presentation that highlights the fact that God is always at work in our lives, even when a marriage is in jeopardy due to infidelity. Through it all, God is seeking our redemption and leading us toward wholeness. And let me set the stage for today's message. Mark Savage was a Christian leader who, admittedly, was not letting Christ lead in his own life. He was sinning through an affair and had left God's path due to guilt and shame. But God always provides us with a path back to his way of doing things. And Mark finally found it. And the three core principles that guided Mark and Jill to a better place are these. First, surrendering their will to God's will. Second, responding to offenses with the love of God. Third, choosing forgiveness. Now, none of these principles require anyone to stay in harm's way. Let me be very clear about that. You can express love and forgiveness while drawing boundaries and setting clear biblical expectations around the covenant of marriage. That's really an important note, Jim. And uh, with that, here's Mark and Jill Savage speaking at The Church Next Door in Columbus, Ohio, on today's episode of Focus on the Family. So I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know Christ. I was an incredibly worldly kid. I was invited to a Billy Graham crusade, and it was there in Indianapolis that I accepted Christ. And then I went on uh, to marry Jill, and we pastored uh, for 20 years in a church. But I was incredibly performance-based. I was driven by lies that uh, I'm not enough, I'll never be enough. Uh, I'm not lovable, all of those lies that led to unrealistic expectations of God, of the church, of Jill. Of course, I was fine because I was okay on this side of the expectations. But uh, we now refer to that time in my life as a dark season. I was worn out with life. I was disillusioned with God, with life, with marriage. I went on to have an affair, and uh, I left Jill and the kids, and I was headed on to this new life of excitement and newness, and it was going to be rosy until it wasn't, because I took somebody else with me on that trip, and that was me, and I was a mess. I was a huge mess. And then it was Easter Sunday, 2012, that I had my own personal resurrection, and for the first time... I really moved from having a Savior to Jesus Christ being the God of my life. You see, when I accepted Christ, I, I was desperate for a Savior. I needed to get off the streets. I needed to get my life turned around. But I didn't understand what it meant for my life to be completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity to have a front row seat at that surrender experience that Mark had. Um, It was that Easter Sunday morning. It had been a long, dark year since the affair had begun, and we had been separated at that point for several months. 
Uh, we had a brand new uh, grandbaby uh, that was born in the Chicago area, which is about two hours from our home. I had traveled up there by train to be there for the birth. And then Mark brought our two teenage sons that were still at home up to meet the baby um, that particular weekend. And so the four of us drove back home together. We got home at 2 a.m. It was Mark was extremely tired. Um, I was hesitant for him to drive the remainder of the way home for his apartment, um, to his apartment. And so I said to him, would it be best for you to stay the night? And he did. So we woke up on Easter Sunday, and our two teenage boys both were serving at church, one on the worship team, one did sound for the church. And so they got up and got themselves to church, and it left Mark and I home alone. And he came and found me that morning and said, I want you to know that I'm filing for divorce this week. In fact, he he had a, a piece of paper, and he had a line drawn down the middle, and he said, so this is our world. This is my yard, this is your yard, and this is the fence. And we've been meeting at the fence, but I don't want to meet at the fence anymore. So I'm filing for divorce this week. So I think Jill thought I was schizophrenic that day, uh, but I had a list of indictments against Jill, against the church, and against God. I was so ticked at him because he wasn't operating the way that I thought that he should. And so I told Jill that there was just no way that I could see that we could overcome the challenges that I had listed, the indictments I had listed against us. Right. And so in that moment, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I just was like, Lord, I have no words. What do I do with this moment? And the only thing that came to my mind was, you know, Mark, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He said, Lord, take this cup from me. And then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. And it was at that moment that, that it was like God opened my eyes and my ears, and I heard what she was saying. Uh, now, I, I'll admit that I was struggling. I was struggling with all of my decisions. And part of my reason in pursuing a divorce was I'm like, I'm on this path. I might as well walk it out and get over it. But it was in that moment that I think Jill, I don't know, you might have thought I was nuts because I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, is this Easter? I I had no clue. This is totally honest. I was such a mess. I had no clue. And then I I said to her, I'm going to pray that same prayer. And I didn't say, Lord, take this uh, marriage from me. But I said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And then I looked at Jill and I was like, can, can we go to church? I hadn't been to church in a while because I was so frustrated with it. Yeah. And I watched a physical change come over him in that moment where he just sat with the mess that was in front of him and said, Lord, I have made a mess of things, but I don't want it to be about my will anymore. I want it to be about yours. And I saw a physical change as he surrendered, as he moved out of the driver's seat of his life into the passenger seat. I saw that change in him. And when he looked up and he said, could we go to church? My answer was absolutely. And we headed off to church that morning. 
You could have probably picked our son's uh, jaws off the ground when they Mm -hmm. saw us walk into church together because they did not expect their father to be coming to church that day. It was after that hard season and then that U-turn that Mark made that we started kind of using the language of, where's Jesus in your car? Where's Jesus in your car? Is he in the trunk? He's there for emergencies. With the spare tire, the tire jack, the battery cables, you know, just in case we need him. Yeah. Or is he in the back seat? Is he in the back seat? You know, he's referred to on occasion. You have occasional conversations with him. Um, You know, you're aware of his presence, but he's still in the back seat. Yeah, it's small talk, a little chat here and there. Yeah, or maybe he's in the front seat. You know, maybe he's in the front seat and the and you do have regular conversations with him. Um, you consult with him. He's a mentor, an advisor. You know, maybe he's in the front seat. But the question is, is he driving? Because you see, when Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, he is driving the car. And that's what we ultimately want. So where we want to spend the remainder of our time today is we want to look at what does it look like when Jesus is driving? What does it look like? And how do we get there? How do we, we tangibly begin to understand that concept and how it applies to our life? And the first step of that is we throw him the keys. We throw him the keys, and this is actually that act of surrender that I finally did on Easter. Now, up to that point, I wouldn't have ever been able to admit or even identify that I had not surrendered to the Lord. But really, I hadn't. It was all performance-based, and it was all driven by, by shame and by these lies. But So we throw in the keys, but then also we throw in the spare key because our tendency in our nature is to want to take back the steering wheel from the Lord and say, you know what, God, go back over the passenger seat. I got this. I'm driving. I'll get us there. You know, one of the most powerful things that happened on that Easter Sunday is, you know, he had the, the, uh, this piece of paper and he had the fence and he said, you know, this is, he actually said, this is your yard. This is my yard. I don't want you in my yard. You know, I, I just want the, a clean break. And, um, but on the other side of that paper was a physical list of everything wrong with me and everything wrong with our marriage and everything wrong with life. And that list, in that moment of surrender, uh, Mark heard the Lord speak uh, to him about that. And when, uh, when we were in that conversation and Jill had, had communicated that prayer about, from Christ, it was in that moment that I heard the Lord speak to me, Mark, if you'll trust me with the list, I'll take care of it. And I, uh, it's, it's rather embarrassing today but uh, I did. I, ca- I had a detailed list of what's wrong with us and of the church and of God. I was just driven by all of this condemnation. And it just, uh, I was worn out by it. But after we went to church that day, he said, can I come home and have lunch with you guys? I said, sure. And um, after lunch, do you care if I stay the afternoon? And I said, Sure. You know, and I'm trying to figure out what is going on here, you know. 
And um, by that evening, he stayed through until the evening, and he said to me, as, as he and I were sitting, um, watching the boys play basketball that night, he said, I can't even remember what was on the list. Mm-hmm. I, 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 can, I could probably tell you the words on it, but they hold no power over me anymore. Right. That's the power of surrender. That's the power of throwing God the keys. And saying, I've made a mess, and I need you to drive. So oftentimes with surrender, the question is, and the reason that we struggle with surrender is because of control. Because we're trying to control situations. We're trying to control outcomes. And so surrender is what happens when you stop trying to control and you move from controlling to actually yielding. I also realized in that act of surrender that, that I really, uh, I had to recognize that I didn't know God. I had filtered God through the two men who were supposed to have been my dad that were both messes themselves, that I had to wipe their face off of the face of God. I saw God as, as a passive drunk. That was my dad. I saw God as a violent, abusive man. That was my stepdad. And I was trying to perform to maybe make God happy with me. And I realized in surrender that there was nothing Mark Savage could do. Jesus Christ did it already. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things that was so powerful for you was you surrendered the need to know and understand. Right. That was so huge um, because there was such a, that was part of the disillusionment with God is right. I don't understand you and I don't under, and I want to know. And you really surrendered the need to do that. That was so powerful. Yeah. I had my own surrender moments in um, that dark journey as well. One of them was um, a day that a dear friend of mine spoke truth to me. She said to me, Jill, don't make saving your marriage an idol. Right now, I think that that's what's on the throne, and that's what you're worshiping. She was right. And that day, I was convicted in a healthy way, and I realized that I was trying to control for success. And I needed to move from holding on like so tight onto my marriage, like my knuckles were white, to opening my hands up and saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you are pursuing Mark. I trust that you are at work. I, I don't know if he'll respond to you, but I can't control that. So I need you to just show me what you want me to do. And that day, as it related to my marriage, I threw my keys to God and said, I am responsible for me and me only. So please show me what to do. And then God did. Shortly after uh, the affair was revealed, and at that time, Mark was extremely hard-hearted. When I confronted him that I had discovered it, he was um, extremely hard-hearted. He said, yes, absolutely, I am. I'm having an affair and I'm not stopping. And it was, I had never seen his heart in such a hard place. And um, 
The next day, I was flat on my face, begging God to tell me what to do. God, I have no idea. I don't know what to do. Do I stay? Do I go? Does he stay? Does he go? Uh, How do I respond to this? What boundaries do I set? What do I do? I have no idea what to do. And in that moment, I heard God speak to me. Oh, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a thought that came in my head that I knew was not mine because this is what it was. I want you to love him. I want you to love him. (laughs) Are you kidding me? And I remember, I mean, literally, I had been on the ground. I had been crying and I got up and I looked up at heaven and I was like, you have to be kidding me because I don't know if you've noticed, but he's not real lovable right now. Mm. And God whispered back to my heart, I don't know if you've noticed. But sometimes you aren't either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Lord. You love me when I'm unlovable. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Would you show me how to do that? And eventually he took me to Romans 12, starting in verse 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. A little bit further down, outdo one another in showing honor. It doesn't say if someone is behaving themselves, you can honor them. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be patient in tribulation? Really, God? Hmm. And then 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. These are my marching orders, God. This is what you want me to do. Do not be haughty. That's verse 16. 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Oh, there's that honor word again. Wow. Beloved. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I remember the first time I read it, I went, that's how I do that? That's how I love someone who's not loving me back? God, that goes against everything I feel right now. But we need to be driven by God's word, not by our emotions. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like to let Jesus drive. And I'll tell you what, that um, place in Romans 12 there at the end It says, um, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I shared that with Mark about a, um, probably a month after Mm -hmm. he came home. And I shared it with him. And She uh, read that verse and I was like, that is what you did. And I said, what did I do? You heap burning coals on my head. And I said, 
what do you mean? I don't even know what that part of the verse means. <laughs> and he said, you treated me better than I deserve to be treated. Yeah. And I knew that. And it impacted my heart. It softened my heart. That's also God's economy. You see, he works from the inside out, not the outside in. When we're driving, we're trying to work from the outside in, but he's working from the inside out. So he asks us to do things that are upside down in this world because he wants the way that we treat others to be something that they don't expect. And then it works on their heart from the inside Mm -hmm. out. You know, another place that God um, gives us a call is forgiveness. You read God's word. He has a lot to say about forgiveness. A lot. Forgive, forgive, forgive as you have been forgiven. I was talking with a woman the other day and and um, uh, she's going through a hard time in her marriage. And she says, well, what if I'm not ready to forgive? What if I don't feel like forgiving? And I said, well, let's, let's explore that. And so we started looking up all kinds of verses. And I said, you know, after we looked up, I don't know, five or ten of them, I said, did any of those say, forgive when you feel like forgiving? Mm-hmm. I didn't see that. Did any of those say, uh, forgive when you feel ready? I didn't see that either. I saw forgive. Mm -hmm. Now, forgiveness and rebuilding trust, two different things. Okay, it didn't say if you forgive, you will have to trust that person. No, it didn't say that at all. But it said, get your heart cleaned up. Forgive. That's what it looks like when we read the owner's manual and then we apply it to real life. In Proverbs, Proverbs 3 Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I would say for today, trust in the Lord with all your heart and throw God the keys. Stop trying to drive the car. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And that's our prayer for us today. Yeah, let's pray. Father, help us. Help each one of us to throw you the keys, God, mm-hmm. to trust you, to surrender to you, to really uh, stop fighting. Yes, Jesus. Father, I pray that you're, uh, that as we throw you the keys, you'll bring peace and calm and direction upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. quite an overview of how God worked through really difficult circumstances in the marriage of Mark and Jill Savage. Obviously, they are condensing a much longer and more detailed account. Uh, We can only emphasize those core principles, uh, Jim, that you noted earlier, surrendering our will to God's, being loving despite true offenses, and forgiving our spouse because we ourselves have been forgiven by God. Right, and it's so important to note that you can and should 
still have boundaries and protect your heart while expressing God's love and forgiveness. And if there's any form of physical or emotional abuse in a relationship, firm boundaries are essential. And if that's your situation, we would urge you to get to a place of safety, keep it a secret, and get professional help right away. Mm. Every story is unique. And if you're in a very complex situation like that, do call us. Uh, we'll be happy to offer whatever help we can. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. What a powerful story. And again, the core principles the savages gave, surrender our will to God's, be loving despite true offenses, and forgive our spouse because we ourselves have been forgiven by God. If this message touched a chord in you, I want to say that we are here to help you. So please get in touch with us. Let us help you work with the Lord to improve your relationship with Him first and foremost, and hopefully save your marriage. Yielding to God is an important first step in finding your way back to wholeness. We have an amazing team of counselors, and there are different ways you can connect with them. So please do reach out. You can call us on 031-716-3300 or find all the info and connect through the counseling page on our website at safamily.co.za. I'd also like to recommend a book by Gary and Norma Schraver called Unfaithful, Hope and Healing After Infidelity. You can trust again. You can restore intimacy. You can have a relationship that you will both cherish for a lifetime. You can get your copy when you call us or find it on our website at safamily.co.za. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Graham Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.